Today's reading comes from Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Maggie. Well, uh, as I think about movies and TV, one of my favorite genres is that of legal dramas. And when I think of movies, my favorite legal drama is a movie called A Few Good Men. Now, have, have some of you guys watched that movie? A few of you guys, yeah. Stars uh, Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise and a whole host of other uh, big stars. Now, this, this uh, movie is a legal thriller. It's about uh, an alleged murder that takes place on a naval base in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And Jack Nicholson, his character, Colonel Nathan Jessup, he is in charge of the island. He is the commanding officer in charge of the island. And Tom Cruise plays a naval attorney, a JAG attorney, and his job is to defend the soldiers who are accused of a murder. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie occurs in the courtroom. Actually, there's, there's a lot of wonderful scenes. There's a lot of wonderful lines. Uh, in, in this scene I'm thinking about, it's a showdown between uh, Nicholson and Cruz. And if you ever want to see an example of some wonderful acting, you know, pay attention uh, to Jack Nicholson. He does a marvelous job in character. And in that scene, Tom Cruise says, I want the truth. And the colonel belts back, you can't handle the truth, right? It's wonderful, wonderful drama. Well, most of us don't know what it's like to be in that courtroom. Uh, we don't know what it's like to stand before a judge and a jury. In fact, we get our understanding of the legal process and legal terms and whatnot, probably from pop culture, from movies like this, or TV shows. Older people might remember uh, Perry Mason, right? Uh, younger people might remember or be watching Law and Order. Or maybe you just, hey, you opt out of TV and movies, and you just pay attention to all of the cases that are going on in our nation today, and you get your understanding there. The reason I bring this up is what, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is using a legal term, a forensic term. He's using that word, condemnation. And as we look into this word, we're going to see in verse 1 that it's actually a proclamation of the gospel. It's a gospel proclamation. And as we unpack this packet passage, we're going we're to see how this gospel actually is accomplished. We're going to look at the gospel work. 
And then as we close our study this morning, we're just going to look at one gospel application. So we're going to see a gospel proclamation. If you're taking notes, a gospel proclamation, gospel work, and gospel application. And in verse 1, we see the gospel proclamation right away. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Students of the Bible will pick up on that, that word, therefore, and, they, and you know that Paul is referring to what he has been saying before. He has been building this marvelous grand case of the gospel. And in, in the first seven chapters, we've learned about the gospel, that it is the power of God for salvation for every one of us here. That in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed. We also see that in Romans, there's a bad side of the gospel, the bad news of the gospel, that God's wrath is revealed against sin, against the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men, and that we are liable because of our sin. There's wrath, there's the judgment of God, but for those who are in Christ Jesus by grace, we are no longer enemies of God. We have been freed from sin. We have been released from the law. That's what we've learned up to date. And now in chapter 8 is another proclamation of the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation. And if you think of the gospel as this beautiful jewel here in verse 1 is another facet of this gospel jewel for us to unpack this morning. Now that word, as I mentioned, is a condemnation. It's a legal term. It's a forensic term. And when, when uh, R.C. Sproul, theologian R.C. Sproul, talks about this word, he likes to bring up the Latin word. The Latin word is damnationus, from which we get the word damnation. Damned. The Greek word katakrima carries this idea of damnation, both of receiving the sentence, the, the guilty verdict, and the penalty that follows it. And so when we look at this word condemnation, it is God's judgment of sin and his execution of judgment. Both the sentence and the execution of the sentence. And it's scary news should be sobering news in light of God, our judge, a holy judge. And our, our scripture this morning is saying that apart from Jesus, everyone stands condemned. Everyone is declared guilty. Everyone is liable to this penalty, the wrath of God. Now, we covered the wrath of God in earlier sermons when we, when we hit chapter 1 and, and saw the wrath of God. We saw the bad news of the gospel in Romans chapter 3, where there is none righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we talk about wrath, if you remember back, if you were with us, we talked about how sobering a term it was. That we're not comfortable with wrath. But if we, if we believe in a God of love, we have to believe in a God of wrath. A God who is loving towards what is good and what is righteous at the same time has to be, by necessity, has to be repulsed 
by what is unrighteous and what is evil. The two go together, two sides of the same coin. God's wrath is his expression of his perfect love. We don't have time to just jump into that whole thing this morning. If, if, you're, if you are bristling this morning at this idea of wrath, of judgment, of condemnation, that you would sit in the courtroom of God and he would judge you, I encourage you to stick with it, to, to, to go and maybe look up that sermon, the bad news of the gospel. Even reach out. Reach out to me or one of the elders. And we'll meet with you. We'll talk about you. We'll wrestle with this idea of wrath, how it is consistent that God would be a God of love and a God of wrath. And to not be so would be a contradiction Our scripture this morning is saying good news for us. There is therefore now no condemnation, meaning that if we are in Christ Jesus, if we're joined to him by the Holy Spirit, we talked about that this morning in the Lord's Supper, there is no condemnation. We have been placed beyond the reach of condemnation. We've been placed beyond the reach of blame. When I was younger, There was a season of my life when I got in a lot of trouble. I I was a troublemaker. I think it was a short season. Maybe it was longer than I'm remembering. I was in trouble in school. I was in trouble at home. And I know they don't do this anymore, but I was the guy that was standing in the corner all the time at school. And and, and even uh, getting punished in front of the class. They don't do this anymore, I don't think. I hope they don't do this. I mean, the teacher would call me to the front of the class and make me put my hand out, and they would hit my hand with a a, a wooden mallet, right? I don't recommend that. Um, You could break some bones, right? I was always in trouble at school, and even at home, if you ask my sisters, maybe they wouldn't say the same thing, but I believe that if I was spanked as much or more than my two sisters combined, right? I was always in trouble. In fact, if something bad happened in the household, you could just find Brian and spank him, and nine times out of ten, you would be right. (laughs) And this hung over me because I always felt like I was to blame. I was always being accused, and yes, most of the time it was true, but it hung over me, the guilt, the penalty, the good news is this morning is that we can never be charged with the crime of our sins, nor do we ever have to look forward to the fact that there is a penalty for that sins that is coming for us. That never hangs over us anymore if we are in Christ Jesus. The wrath of God has been completely averted, turned aside from us. Damnation has been destroyed. And what about all those accusations? Well, they will fall on deaf ears. It's not waiting in the wings, hanging over us to come back and get us. This is the proclamation of good news to us this morning. This is that facet, that facet of the jewel, the gospel, that God is telling us this morning. And isn't it a wonderful thing that he wants us to know this, that we are cleared, that we are accepted, that the charges have been dropped. What a loving father to tell us this wonderful news in the gospel. And guess what? 
we get this good news now. There is now no condemnation. There is now. God doesn't hold it from us and wait for us to be knocking at the doors of heaven and then say, there's no condemnation. No, he gives us the good news at the start of our Christian life. When we are joined to Christ by faith, through the Holy Spirit, we get the good news that we have been cleared, declared righteous, right at the start of the Christian life, not at the very end. And because of that, our whole relationship with the law and with God has been radically transformed. It moves from one of duty to to one of delight. It moves from one of regulations to, to that of relationship. Tim Keller liked to explain it this way, this relationship, this radical transformation of us in the law and God. He said before it was like a, a, a citizen to the civil laws, but now in Christ Jesus, it's like a husband and wife. You see, the citizen has a duty to obey the laws. They, they're being regulated by the laws. There's no delight in keeping the law. They have to do it. They feel obligated to do it. But then there's a transformation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They're brought into a relationship of delight. You see, the husband and wife, they don't want to do something that will offend or hurt the other. Why? Because of their deep love for one another. You see the radical shift that happens when you are in Christ Jesus, you see the radical shift when you get this good news proclaimed over you now. It transforms your heart. And I think this is a wonderful diagnostic, a wonderful dashboard, if you will, for us this morning. If we're looking at a dashboard of a car, it tells us if something is wrong. Here's a diagnostic for you. If you're here this morning and you're thinking about your relationship with God, or you're thinking about your relationship with the Bible, is it one of... Man, there's a lot of do's and don'ts that I've got to, to, to abide by. Is this some sort of regulation that I, that I have to do? Is it, is it a weight that I carry like that? Or is it one of a loving relationship? It's a good diagnostic. If you're here this morning and you don't understand it and, and, and your approach to God and, and you think that he looks upon you that you've got to keep all these laws... Do these things. Don't do these things. Your heart has not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ takes it out of that old relationship into this new, delightful, loving relationship. And that's the gospel in verse 1 that is being proclaimed to us this morning. That we are beyond the reach of blame and condemnation. No more a sentence of guilt, no more the threat of death, the penalty. And how, then, is this work done? How is this work accomplished? We see in verses 2 and two through 4 that the gospel is so much more than Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And yes, that statement, that proclamation is one of the beautiful, glorious facets of the gospel. We celebrated it this morning. But it is so much more 
profound. And I want you to see in these verses that all of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have worked in beautiful concert together to achieve our rescue. That the gospel is Trinitarian in nature. If you've been here this morning and you've been receiving our, the worship that we've been giving, we've been giving worship to a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, we believe in one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal in power and glory and all united around this purpose to bring redemption, to bring rescue to God's people. And in these verses, we see how the gospel work is accomplished. First, we see the Father. His particular work in the gospel is that of planning and initiating. In verse three, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And Paul here is bringing up the law again to us and saying the law could not do something. And we've studied the law for a few sermons now. We've learned, actually, that the law is good. The law is good. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. But the law falls short of doing something. The law falls short, is not able to save us. It's not able to rescue us. It's not able to give us righteousness. Though we're inclined to, to, to approach the law and, and, and try to use law-keeping as a way to gain righteousness, we fail because of our sinful flesh. We can never achieve it. And so God does what the law cannot do. He plans and he initiates our rescue in the gospel. And he does it how? By sending his only son. And he condemns sin in the flesh. There's that word again. He pronounces his son guilty and he subjects him to the penalty of that guilt, which is death. And why would the father do this to his own son? I want to bring to you a very familiar verse or set of verses this morning in John 3.16, starting there. Listen to it again with fresh ears. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is a summary, actually, of what we have talked about already. That apart from Jesus, you stand condemned, but in Jesus, you are not. And why does the Father send his Son? For God so loved the world. I remember when the weight of these verses hit me afresh for the first time. It was actually uh, shortly after the birth of our first child. When I was holding uh, our son Joshua one evening, and I just, I just remember, I wrote in my journal, I remember it so, so vividly. I was pondering these verses, and I was thinking how much I loved 
my newborn son. And parents, you know, it's like your heart becomes even bigger. It becomes enlarged. You're able to love more than you thought you could. And then the weight of these verses hit me. That God offers up his own son out of love. And I thought about the love I had for my son, and I thought, that's an otherworldly love. God does what I could have never done. Out of his love, he offers his own son for me, condemning him, sentencing him, penalizing him for me. That's the heart of the father. That's the work of the father. The, the work of the son in the gospel you see in verses three and four, the son accomplishes our rescue. The father plans and initiates by sending the son. The son actually accomplishes the work of our rescue. He was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. It's talking about the incarnation. It's talking about what we celebrated in December, Christmas. That Jesus, the eternal son of God, puts on flesh one person, two natures, fully God, fully man. So that he can not only represent us, but identify with us. Note that word likeness. It's such a crucial, crucial word for us in the scripture this morning. He did not come in sinful flesh like we are. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was sinless. You had to be the perfect substitute for our sin. And Hebrews 4 would say that he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. And so we have in Jesus one who is accomplishing our rescue, one who identifies with us, one who represents us. And then in verse 4, we see Jesus fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law for us. Our sinful flesh fails to accomplish that. His sinless flesh accomplishes perfect righteousness. And what we have here is what theologians call double imputation. Our sin imputed to Jesus, Jesus' righteousness imputed to us. Our sin laid on the sinless Jesus, the perfect righteousness credited to the unrighteous. And why does Jesus do this? He would say it himself in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And we see here the father and the son united in this white hot, lavish love for the sinner, for us. And let's look at the work of the spirit. His particular work in the gospel is applying the work of Jesus to our lives. In verses two and four, you can see this. And there's a ton packed in here. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then in four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And in verse 2, you can see 
and get a glimpse of the work of the Spirit. He is the one who sets us free from sin, from the power of sin, and he's the one who brings us into union with Jesus. He's called the Spirit of life here because the Spirit, that, that is a particular work of the Spirit. It gives life. And the Spirit who once gave us life physically is now, through Jesus, giving us spiritual life, flourishing, health, vitality. And then in verse 4, you can see that the Spirit now is empowering those who are in Christ Jesus to a new obedience to the law and a new relationship with the law. You know, last week we talked about our real struggle with sin, that though we are in Christ Jesus and we've been set free from the law and sin, we still have remaining sin and we struggle with sin. And here, Scripture is telling us what is God's provision for us in this battle with sin. It's the Holy Spirit. God has given the Holy Spirit for us in our battle with sin. In other words, God has given us of him Self. There, there is no greater resource for the believer than God himself dwelling with us to fight the battle of sin. No greater resource. We have almighty God within us. Well, there's, there's so much more we can talk about the Holy Spirit. It's actually the subject of Romans chapter 8. Next week, Eric is going to unpack even more about the work of the Holy Spirit. So stay tuned for that. I want you to see, though, in these few verses, the work of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, planning and, and initiating. Son, accomplishing. Spirit, applying. All working in beautiful concert to accomplish the gospel, all motivated out of a lavish love for his people. So the gospel is proclaimed in these passages and it's wonderful news, a wonderful jewel. It is the work of the Trinity. And now let's look at just one application of the gospel. In other words, you may be sitting here and you're hearing lots of theology and you're wondering, so what? How does it help me tomorrow morning when I face the same suffering, the same sin, the same broken relationship, the same backstabbing coworker? And I want you to see this morning that these gospel truths give you an unbreakable security and an unshakable confidence. You see, you are out of the reach of blame. It's no longer hanging over you. You're free. It's not waiting for you. God is not up there analyzing and waiting to look at you and say, aha, aha, I see your sin. I can accuse you and penalize you. No, you are beyond the reach of condemnation. And, and this work has been accomplished by the triune God. In other words, the Trinity is in your corner working on your behalf to accomplish your redemption. You have God 100% for you. And what does that mean? What are the implications? It means that you can have a radical security, real-time security today. 
in real-time confidence today as you face whatever trouble is coming at you in life. And I want to focus on one area, and again this morning I want to focus on relationships. Last week we talked about how our struggle with sin, when we're in conflict and in that battle with sin, it gives us a clarity that we are not as great as we once thought we were. That the, that the playing field is level at the cross, that we are all sinners coming to God with empty hands. Not a single one of us is bringing something to God. Not a single one of us has this advantage over another person that we can say that we are somehow better. And that clarity, as we talked about, yes, it allows us to give grace to other people and to receive criticism. But see this this morning. That this beautiful jewel of the gospel is going to give you even more ammunition in your broken and strained relationships. Because we not only need this clarity about who we are, we need security in our heart. We need confidence in our approach. You see, if you have a broken or strained relationship, and let's say the, the problem resides within you, you need a deep security. You need a deep-rooted security to face up to your own issues. And no longer to, to live in denial of your sin and the issues that you have brought to a relationship. You need confidence to be able to face those issues and then to work and address them and move towards reconciliation, how you've harmed other people around you. But let's say the problem is in another person and not in you. You still need a, a security. You need a confidence to step out and approach someone, moving towards them in love. The gospel this morning gives you that kind of security, gives you that kind of confidence. Why? Because you have this endless reservoir of the triune God's love towards you. When you, when you have to deal with your own problems, when you have to reach out and make moves towards another person who has hurt you, who is difficult, who is irritating, who has backstabbed you, you know, I know, that it takes a piece of you to do that. It's like you're giving a piece of you away. It's like a chunk of your heart gets ripped out to do that. And the gospel is saying that you have an endless reservoir of God's lavish love for you in Jesus that you can dole out over and over and it never runs dry. You have a security and a confidence in the gospel. And you can stare deeply at your own issues and you can move towards other people in love. Think about it. We need all these ingredients as we face the troubles in life. We need clarity about ourselves. We need security. We need confidence. Have you ever watched toddlers playing on the, the playground? It's a wonderful thing to, to do. You know, toddlers, they're, they're just now learning how to walk, and you know how they walk in that kind of funny way? And they're going out onto the playground, and they're just, they're, it's like wild abandon, eyes wide open, enjoying themselves. And then what inevitably happens? They get hurt. Because they don't know any better. They get hurt. But what do they do when they get hurt? Who do they look for? 
They're looking for their mom or their dad. And they run to mom or dad. And if you're a good parent, every single time, arms open wide, receiving that child, holding them, comforting them. And what is that child receiving by that love? They're receiving security. Mom or dad is providing what appears to be an endless reservoir of comfort, of love. The greatest security that this child ever knows right then is the embrace of mom or dad. And it strengthens them to get up and to go back out onto the playground with confidence and freedom once again to engage. And this beautiful jewel in the gospel that we have this morning, no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus, it gives us that gospel security, that gospel confidence, that freedom to move towards other people who have hurt us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do thank you. How amazing it is that you would lay down your life for your friends. We are the recipients of that lavish love. And Father, as we look at the the scriptures this morning, triune God, we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all united to save us, to redeem us. Lord, let that love secure us. Let that love give us a confidence. No matter what trial or tribulation or relationship issue that we face, may it secure us and give us confidence to move forward in your love. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.